0: Welcome to the 4-1 History Show with me, Arna i
1: And me, Patrick Moore. Today we'll be talking about World War I with the topics including poems, the Battle of Verdun, Sidney Lewis, the youngest soldier in World War I and Ireland's association with the Great War.
0: The first being Dulce de Cormest and the Anthem for Doomed Youth by Wilfred Owen.
1: Owen fought at the Battle of the Somme and was admitted to Crago Heart War Hospital in Edinburgh in 1917 after suffering shell shock where he met Siegfried Sassoon, who helped him channel his war flashbacks in poetry. He returned to fight and was killed in action a week before the war had ended in November, 1918.
0: Dulce <inaudible> Cormest, bent double like old beggars under sacks. Knock neck like hags, we cursed through the sludge till on the haunting flares, we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched to sleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots, of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas, gas, quick boys, an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light as under a green sea I saw him drowning in all my dreams before my helpless sight he plunges at me guttering choking drowning if in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watching the white eyes rithering in his face his hanging face like a devil's sick of sin if you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud, of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie, dulce Decorum est, pro patria more. This poem refers to the brutality of war and how destructive the chemical weapons that were used during the Great War were. The words Dulce de Cormest Pro Patria
1: More mean It is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. This is also a poem written by On. It's called Anthem for Doomed Youth. What passing bows for these who dies as cattle? Only the monstrous anger of the guns, only the stuttering rifles rapid battle, can patter out their hasty orsons. No mockery now for them, no prayers, no bells, nor any voice of mourning, save the choirs the shrill demanded choirs of wailing shells and bugles calling for them from sad showers what candles may be held to speed them all not in the hands of boys in their eyes shall mine the only glimmers of goodbyes the pallor of girls brow shall be their paul their flower the tenders of patient minds and each slow dusk a drawing down of blinds this poem refers to how this war wiped out a generation and traumatised millions of people. We're now going to be talking about Sidney Lewis, the youngest child soldier ever in World War I. He was born on the 24th of March in 1903. He was born and raised in London, England. At the age of 12 years old, he enlisted in the year 1915. He was put in the Surrey Regiment. He fought in the Battle of the Somme and the Battle of Delville. He was sent home after his mother showed the British Army his birth certificate and demanded his return. During his war time, he was awarded the Victory Medal and he was also awarded the British War Medal. He re-enlisted at age 15 in 1918. At that time, he served the Army of Occupation in Austria. Later on in life, he also became a police officer. During the time of World War II, he served in bomb disposal. To this day, people don't really understand how the British Army looked at a 12 year old and thought he was okay for war. Sources say at the time he was six foot two, which may have led to the soldiers to believe that he was over the age of 18. He was married in 1928. He also opened a pub and had a kid. He died in 1969 at the age of 66.
0: We will now be discussing the Battle of Verdun. The Battle of Verdun was fought from the 21st of February to the 18th of December, 1916 on the Western Front in France. The battle was the longest of the First World War and took place on the hills north of verdun sur meuse The Battle of Verdun was named the meat grinder by the men who fought in the battle due to the amount of people who died or were dismembered slash disfigured by artillery. In total, over 75,000 men died throughout this one battle, many of which died as a result of artillery from as far as 17 miles away. The chief of the German General Staff, Erich von Falkenhayn, believed that 1916 would be a breakthrough year for German forces on the Western Front. Falkenhayn then created a plan to attack a key strategic location of the French sector of the Western Front, the Verdun salient. Surrounded by numerous heavily armed forts, Verdun was a fortress city and a vital link in the French sector of the Western Front. To the French, Verdun was their national treasure, something Falkenhayn knew full well. Its main defense was Fort Dumont. Having only recently been completed in 1913 Dumont was dominated the northern approach to Verdun. It was heavily defended with numerous machine gun nests protected in steel pillboxes. The first shot was fired on the 21st of February 1916. It came from a German long-distance naval gun and damaged Verdun Cathedral right in the center of the city. It was followed by a huge barrage of Verdun's front defences, inflicting huge casualties. Of every 5 French soldiers that had been po- positioned on the front line, only one survived unscathed. The first ever flamethrower was used in Verdun by the Germans. Named the Flemen were, they were carried by specially trained German stormtroopers who also carried numerous grenades. The flamethrower had never been used on the battlefield before, but it proved devastatingly effective. The largest and most powerful fort in Verdun, in the Verdun system, fell without a single shot being fired. Partly due to German audacity, but also because the French had removed almost all the defenders from the fort. Dumont fell to the Germans on the 25th of February 1916, four days after the first shot was fired. For the French it was a huge blow, to the Germans a great success. Following these disastrous early setbacks, command of Verdun's defense was given over to Philippe Patin, who, who went on to reform and greatly improve the French defenses at Verdun, perhaps most importantly, improving the supply lines to and from Verdun, which were crucial to maintaining the French defense. He later became known as the Lion of Verdun. He was given command over Verdun's defenses at midnight on the same day Fort Dumont was lost. When the Somme offensive began on 1 July 1916, the Germans were forced to relocate large numbers of men from the Verdun sector to the Somme to counter the British spearheaded assault. Contrarily, most of the French army remained defending Verdun. The need to divert German troops to the Somme meant that 1 July marked the official end of Falkenhayn's offensive at Verdun, but the battle continued. Nine months after Verdun's most formidable defence had fallen into German hands, French forces successfully stormed Jumont on October 24th, 1916 after a massive two-day bombardment. On December 16th, 1916, Generals Evold von Lockeau and General Hans von Zwehl were sacked following the failure at Verdun. In the end, the French forces recaptured and defended Verdun until December 18th, 1916, when German forces were defeated. The 1916 Rising will forever be known as the unofficial beginning of Irish independence from the United Kingdom. The Rising affected several things, both at the time and in the future to come. The 1916 Rising particularly affected the United Kingdom's position within World War I, after they had to divert soldiers from the front lines to quell the uprising, affecting their presence in the war. It also created the foundation for nationalist Irish politics and politicians such as Eamonn de Valera and Fianna Fáil. How do you now read a poem by W.V. Yeats named Easter, Easter 1916?
1: Yeats wrote this poem between the months of May and September 1916, and it first appeared publicly in 1920. I have met them at close of day, coming with vivid faces, from counter or desk among grey, 18th century houses. I have passed with a nod of head, or polite meaningless words, to please a companion around the fire at the club, being certain that they and I, but but lived where mostly is worn, all changed utterly, a terrible beauty is born. That woman's day were spent in all ignore goodwill, her nights in argument, until her voice grew shrill, what voice more sweet than hers, when, young and beautiful, she rode in the harries This other man and I had dreamed, a drunken vainglorious lout, he had done most bitter wrong to some who aren't near my heart, yet I number him in the song. He, too, has resigned his part in the casual comedy. He, too, has been changed in his turn, transformed utterly. A terrible beauty is born. Hearts with other purpose alone, through summer and winter, seem enchanted to a stone, to trouble the living stream. The horse that come from the road, the rider, the birds that range from cloud to tumbling glade, minute by minute they change. A shadow of clay on the steam changes minute by minute. A horse who slides on the brim and the horse splashes within it. The long edge, more hands dive. Hens to more, cocks call. Minute by minute they live. The stones in the midst of all, too long a sacrifice, can make a stone of the heart. Oh, when it suffice, that it's heaven part our part, to murmur name upon name, as a mother names her child, when sleep at last has come, on limbs that run wild. What is in it but nightfall? No, no, no. Right night but death, what is needless death after all, for England may keep faith, for all that is done and said, we know their dream is enough, to know they are dreamed and are dead, and what if excessive love, bewildered them till they died, I wrote out in a verse, MacDonagh and MacBride and Conley and Pierce. now and in time to be, wherever green is worn, changed utterly a terrible beauty is born, I'll now pass you on to Aaron, he will read I see his blood upon the rose by Joseph Plunkett
0: I see his blood upon the rose I see his blood upon the rose and in the stars the glory of his eyes his body gleams amid eternal snows his tears fall from the skies I see his face in every flower the thunder and the singing of the birds are but his voice and carven by his power rocks are his written words all pathways